In John chapter 9, we see a tremendous account of Christ demonstrating uh, his power in a man that was born blind. In verse 32, the man that was born blind testifies of the fact that this was a miracle that has never been uh, heard of in history. That a man born blind that's healed, be able to see now, God gives him eyes to see. And the Lord will use this man to illustrate a great work, a greater work of salvation, to open up the eyes of those that are spiritually blind. Uh, Jesus' ministry was not only to work miracles, but it was to authenticate the work of God and the, and the word of God. And so this account is only found in the Gospel of John, and it's one chapter dedicated to it. And it's full of wonderful things. I mean, I've just been absolutely blessed by this chapter. In verse 1, we see Jesus first demonstrate his compassion. The Bible says he saw a man. You know, God is interested in people, individuals. Though there'll be crowds, God is still interested in those people amongst the crowd. He is. And there are so many people today that may not be interested, but God is still looking for that one person that is, that will follow him. And he set his eyes on him. It's amazing how our master will set us, his eyes on someone that would be the outcast of society. The outcast of the synagogue, of the temple, sitting and being a beggar. And blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. What a fascinating story to see that this man, God had absolutely planned his blindness from birth. It wasn't an accident. This man wasn't born blind because of his sin or his parents. That was already identified in the first sermon. But this was deliberate, that God would work a greater work in his day. And we see that this man did not bark, kick, or complain against the will of God. But rather, the will of God was magnified in his life that day. And he reaped the benefits, not only temporal benefits, but eternal ones. It's amazing how people are willing to sacrifice the eternal for the temporal. They're just short-sighted. You know, but God wants us to see the whole picture, the big picture, not only the here and now, but the life that's coming, the eternal life. He wants us to, uh, you know, work those uh, senses, if you will, to look up and set our affections on things above, the eternal things. And uh, we see in verse 4 and 5, Jesus declares his work. He conveys his purpose for his coming. In verses 6 and 7, Jesus performs the work, miracle. In verses 8 to 12, we see the man give his testimony. And then verses 13 to 17, we see people present this man to the religious rulers. So in the first part of this chapter 9, we see Jesus showing compassion to a man, demonstrating his work, and now he's a living testimony of God's grace. But we see in the second sermon that I presented to you was the confrontation of the Pharisees. And here we see they confront him and demand him give his testimony. And he did, but they weren't happy with it. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they didn't even believe that he was born blind and now he sees. They refuse even to acknowledge the fact that he was born blind, let alone this miracle that Jesus performed. 
And we know this is because they didn't, it wasn't really about the blind man here. You've got to understand from, you know, the early part of John's epistle uh, or gospel, Jesus really confronts the Pharisees time and time again. So they were already offended because he exposed them time and time again. What they wanted to do is discredit, discredit Christ. They wanted to undermine his ministry. And so if they can undermine his testimony, then he can, they can undermine Jesus' work. And that's what they wanted to do. He really exposes them. Like if you back it up in chapter 8, remember the time when he, they brought the woman that caught uh, in adultery and they said that you that are without sin cast the first stone? Well, they dropped the stones. They were convicted in their conscience and they walked away. Remember that time? And they walked away. So he had already, you know, zoomed in on their own sin, which they don't like, and people don't like that today. At this particular point, they didn't believe his testimony, so they're bringing his parents. And his parents, they wanted to confirm, was this your son? Was he born blind? And, uh, and they press his parents, and his parents buckle for the fear of the fact that they'll be cast out of the temple. And uh, this is evident in verse 18, but the Jews, did, uh, sorry, verse 22, but the word, spoke, the, the word spoke his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. So they already primed up the people that even if you're going to consider Christ, you're gone. And so the, the parents kind of threw him under the bus and said, go back and tell him he's of age, confront. And so we see in verse 24, and this is where we're going to get into. So we already saw the compassion of Christ, the confrontation of the Pharisees, and now we're going to see the confidence of this man that was born blind, and it is absolutely remarkable, to say the least. Puts the confidence of the religious buffs to shame. Look at verse 23. His parents say, he's of age, ask him, so they redirect the religious rulers back to this blind man that was healed. <clears throat> it's funny how the parents wanted to stick to tradition rather than truth. But we see that take place today. People are more prone to hold to their tradition than truth. And in verse 24, then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God praise. We know this man is a sinner. So at this particular point, the man perhaps wasn't there hearing what had taken place with the parents. So we could assume that he didn't know the dialogue and what his parents did. But all he knew was to stand for him on the side of truth. Wasn't, uh, you know, really intimidated by the Pharisees. He wasn't intimidated by his parents, although there were authority in his life. He wanted to just tell the truth and he has confidence in that. And we see that take place. He says, notice the phrase, give God praise. It's amazing how they will say this, but another equivalent to this, as we see in the Old Testament, is give God glory. And the term give God praise is used to compel people to tell the truth. It happened in the day where Joshua confronted Achan with his sin, Joshua 7, verse 19, and Joshua said unto Achan, My son, give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and make confession unto him, and tell me now, what thou hast done, hide it not from me. So the Pharisees were saying, give God praise, uh, you know, give God glory, confess. He's a sinner. We know he's a sinner. They weren't saying in reality, give God praise for this miracle, because then they would actually affirm that Jesus indeed did the miracle. They were actually coming back to this uh, 
man that was healed and, and left the parents coming back to him. He said, Give God play. Tell, tell the truth. This man is a sinner. Affirm with us. And who knows what had taken place? You know, perhaps what was going through his head. What did my parents say? <laughs> what took on? It, it didn't phase him, not for, not for a second. And what, what's intriguing here is these deceitful liars would use the word, we know he's a sinner. How do you know? You know that Jesus is a sinner? I mean, that's strong, isn't it? We know he's a sinner. Well, how do you know? Is there any evidence that you know? Is there any proof that you know? Oh, no, but we know. Why do you know? How do you know? And so even though they seem so confident, this man wasn't moved whatsoever. We see that seeping through. Because our confidence is not in man or their confidence. Our confidence is in the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's not in the fact of how confident a man can declare something. It doesn't lie in the power or the wisdom of man. But listen, it relies on the testimony of Jesus Christ and his word. A lot of people find confidence in the confidence of men. And they fail because of it. Strange. We know. In John chapter 9 verse 16. We find that the Pharisees say that this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath. So they've already accused him of being a sinner for not keeping the Sabbath. And the scribes and Pharisees distorted some of the teachings of the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus understood this. He calls them blind guides. They strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. They focused and zoomed in more over the minimal side of the law and then you know, discredited the, you know, uh, uh, the most important part of the law. And Jesus understood that they discredited or they distorted, I should say, the scriptures. And they did it time and time again. And part of the religious rulers, uh, you know, their understanding of the law was absolutely distorted to no end. They would make up things along the way. It was the book according to the scribes and Pharisees. And people believed it. People believed it. And, I, I, and like we said before, like I mentioned before, him spitting and making clay was work. To them it was work. But what they couldn't see is the fact that, that he made this clay to anoint the man in his eyes so that way he would go wash and be able to see. They discredited the miracle. They discredited uh, the, 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 the beautiful part of mercy and they wanted to focus on the little work that they were doing. The little work that he did. Just made little clay. Can you imagine that? They're talking about blind guides. They discredit all the goodness of God and they look at this little thing that Jesus was doing here. And that's what religious people do. They want to try to pinpoint and catch all because of what? Because they're not of the truth and we're going to see that in a moment. Jesus gave them an opportunity already in chapter 8 when he said, which of you, in verse 46, convinceth me of sin? Which of you actually can convince me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? To be convinced is to be convicted. Which of you can convict me of sin? Where have I failed? Where have I gone wrong? Well, they weren't of the truth. The Pharisees were already, uh, you know, bucking against the truth. 
And they said in John chapter 8, verse 39, the Pharisees claimed to be the true descendants of Abraham, the children of faith. And Jesus said unto them, in verse 39, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that have told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. So he says, hey, Abraham's not your father. Abraham didn't act this way. Abraham was for the truth. You're not of the truth. And not only this, Jesus simply points out that God is not their father because they indeed say God is our father in verse 42. And he says, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came of my, uh, I not myself, but he that sent me. So Abraham's not your father, God's not your father, and then he just really, <clears throat> you know who's your father? The devil. So he's already, they're already, you know, just mad at Christ. That's why they can't see the truth in the miracle, because they're already mad, because they've been so convicted and so exposed. In verse 44, he says, Ye of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Why? Your father is the devil. Because you cannot stop accusing. That's all you do, and that's all religious people do, is accuse. They don't stop accusing. As a matter of fact, that's their ministry. Accusing. That's what the devil does. And actually to the very point that he, we should learn from this because Paul says to Titus, hey, teach the women not to be false accusers. And that word, if you look at it in the Greek, false accusers, the word is diablos. Don't be devil-like. Because that's the work of the devil. Always accusing. Always trying to find something. And this is the Pharisees. I mean, the Pharisees didn't know what a blessing looked like, let alone to thank God for it, because they were always looking and putting people down and ele elevating themselves. And so we see John chapter 9, verse 16, others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. So even amongst, we assume, the Pharisees and the religious rulers, perhaps Nicodemus was one of them, said, how can a man that is a sinner do such a miracle? Now, that's biblical sense. Don't you agree with that? I mean, they're looking at the fact. He's a, oh, he hasn't kept the Sabbath. He's a miracle. Uh, he, 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 he's, a, he, he's a sinner. He hasn't kept the Sabbath. Hey, li listen, give God, tell us the truth. And so he answers them. In verse 25, he answered and he said, whether he be a sinner or not, no, I know not. He already answered them before in verse 17. When they, when they said unto the blind man, what sayest thou of him that he opened thy eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So he already answered them, but they wanted affirmation. So at this point, at the very least, he was a prophet. Sent by God because, listen, look, look at this miracle. I mean, this, this is unbelievable. And we know that prophets of old had done miracles. And so at this point, he's already witnessing the fact that Jesus is a prophet. Later on, as you go... As we see at the end of the chapter, we see Jesus says he's the son of God more than a prophet. And he opens up his spiritual eyes and thank God for that. But at this point, he's seeing him to be a prophet of God. 
And if you're a prophet of God, you, you speak on behalf of God, you have God's message, a true prophet of God. But over here, they want him to confess the fact that he's a sinner and he wouldn't confess. Hey, whether he's a sinner or not, this one thing I know, listen, you know what I know? I was blind, but now I see. And he's already, with the, you know, the religious rulers over here, which saying, how, how, can a blind, how can a sinner open up the eyes of the blind? So, he's, you know, this is already in the wind. Yeah, how can a sinner open up the eyes? How can you do this great miracle if God wasn't with him? Uh, Nicodemus testified to that in John chapter 3. God had to be with him in order for him to do this miracle of opening up the eyes, of the, let alone a man born blind. This is not something that a doctor just came in and uh, you know, gave some ointment. or you know, This is beyond this. This man was born blind. He couldn't see for the life of him. Only God can give him eyes. So this had to come from God. And I know one thing, I was blind, but now I see this one thing I know. And you know what? If anybody in this room needs anything, listen, it needs assurance like this, confidence like this. I remember when I was first saved, I was bombarded by religious people. You know, when I come to the point of saying that Jesus is the only way not Mary, not the saints. That was my message when I first came to Christ because I was a worshipper of idols and Mary and so forth and the saints. Like I'm talking about a big worshipper of these things. I was an idolater. And when I came to the truth that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man and I began to convey this and that's part of the gospel, amen? That Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life and I started being bombarded by religious folk that perhaps some of them were ignorant. And I didn't know much. I didn't know how to answer them. I didn't know. I wasn't learned in the scriptures, but there's one thing I knew that I'd met Christ. And he opened up my eyes and he showed me that I was a sinner. And, he, and I can see and I know I have a relationship and I know who I believed and I know I've committed unto him that which I know it. No matter what men may say, I know where I am with the Lord. No matter what their perception is, their judgment is. I know what kind of relationship I have with the Lord that day when it began. I know that for sure. No matter what you say, no matter what you're looking for, I know what I have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone ought to have that. Because you're going to have people undermining your walk with God. Some people are looking for things that are not even, you know, sensible. But you know what? Some people are looking for these because they're not for the truth. They want something that's beyond, something that is, you know, and why? Because they have a hidden agenda. We're going to see this. The Pharisees had a hidden agenda. They didn't care about this blind man being healed, and they didn't care about Jesus Christ. All they cared about is their preeminence. All they care about is them being lifted up. All they cared, out, cared about is wanting to be recognized. They wanted to be esteemed among men. They wanted to be greeted in the marketplace. They wanted, they, they, just, they wanted to be the show pony of the day. And here's Jesus taking over and, 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 and just really working in the life of a person. And they're threatened. They were threatened by him from day one. A lot of religious rulers are not only government, uh, religious rulers, but government officials were threatened by a little born baby. Wanted him dead right from birth. Why? Because it's the work of the devil. And every one of us here could be susceptible to the same spirit. And we need to be assured that no, I know one thing for certain. That he, 
I was blind, but now I see God has showed me. And what a wonderful thing that is. Do you have your assurance? Do you know that your name is written in heaven? Do you know the Father? To whom, you know, do, you, do you know the Father? For this is life eternal, that you may know him. To know him is life eternal. Do you know the Son? He that had the Son have life. He that had not the Son of God have life. Do you know that? Do you know all these? Do you know this? These things I have written on you that you may know, not maybe, hope so, one day we'll see. No, you can know. Not, you could know for certain. This man says, one thing I know is I was blind, but now I've seen. Understand, he contributed. No. Well, later on, who opened up his eyes? We're going to see this in a moment. So, look at verse 26. They asked him again. Again. So how did that, how's this happen? They said it to him again. What did he do? What, what he, sorry, what did he to thee? How opened he thy eyes? Now, this is fascinating. Because if you just look at this for a moment and think about what they just said, they're actually attributing that he opened up his eyes. But how did he do it? <laughs> oh, it's like these people that we, you know, this you know, oh, just man yesterday. Oh, no, there's no God. There's no God. There's no God. But why does God do this? And why does God allow this? But hang on a minute. I thought there's no God. You know, you just see this time and time again. They want to discredit the existence of God. They want to discredit Christ. And then they, they're, they're bitter against him. And they want to try to catch him out. You know, that guy yesterday, Damon, time and time again, he was trying to catch out God and Jesus and saying all this time, he's saying that he doesn't even believe in them. Same spirit. So how did he open up your eyes? And I love this answer. In verse 27, he says, I've told you already. In other words, aren't you listening? Now, think, think about this for a moment. These religious rulers, and you've got this confidence of a blind man that's been healed saying, aren't you listening? I told you already. Are you dollar hearing? And he goes on to say, did you not hear? Wherefore, would you hear it again? Do you want to know again what happened? He already told him his testimony. Uh, look at this. Will ye also be his disciple? <laughs> Do you want to follow him? Man, right at this point, he can actually see the Pharisees, the hardness of their heart and their unwillingness to believe this Jesus. They don't even call him Jesus. If you read the passage, all they say, this man, this man, this man, they don't even have the respect to call him by name. And he's just kind of, you can see, he's just over it and say, do you want to be his follower too? Is that why you're asking me? I don't know if it's sarcasm, but it looks, looks that way to me. Do you want to follow him? Why are you so interested? I mean, why are you so interested about this? Why are you so concerned and so worried about this? Well, there's a reason. And notice the word also. Will you also? In the, perhaps gives us a good indication that this man perhaps decided to say, oh, I'm his disciple. This prophet that opened up my eyes, I'm willing to follow him. If he's of God, and it seems to be that he is. No man can do this unless God is with him. Do you want to be his disciple also? 
And their response kind of proves perhaps that he was identifying himself with Jesus Christ. Notice their response. Look at verse 28. And they what? Reviled him. This is what happens when you're confronted with the truth and you've got nowhere to go. You stoop down to abuse. Mudslinging, name-calling, criticizing. They reviled him and said, Thou art his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. This is what happens when you resist the truth and you have unbelief. You go from rebuke to ridicule. Not that it was a rebuke anyway. It wasn't really. There was no grounds to rebuke the man. He was just testifying of the truth. It was a personal testimony. And you know, you can't argue with that. Well, they tried. This is what happens when a person runs out of options. They stoop so low, they go from accusing to, listen, abusing. And we see that take place today, don't we? They reviled him. Uh, look at the second part. Uh, they're his disciples. They're out his disciples, but we are Moses' disciples. Now, they take it upon themselves to make a division here. Why? Divisive. Why? No one said anything about Moses. Uh, in John chapter 8, they bring Abraham. In John chapter 9, they bring in Moses. Jesus is not separated from Moses. Why are you making that dis distinction? As a matter of fact, Moses pointed to Jesus and Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses' law. He fulfilled all the law. But why are you making this distinction? Why are you actually putting a schism between Moses and Jesus? Because that's what people that are not for the truth do. They're divisive. They cause division. Unnecessary. I know there's this division and righteous division, but there are those that constantly cause carnal division and it's unnecessary. You are of this man and we are of Moses. Why? Moses and Christ are not divided. Hey, Corinthians, the apostles are not divided. You're making that distinction. Carnal people always try to make a distinction and divide. But these were more than just carnal people. These were absolutely haters of the truth. Hey, you think they even cared about Moses? Not for a second. And Jesus made that known to them. And John chapter 5 we see that. Have a look at John chapter 5. He addresses this already in John chapter 5. Look at verse 45. He says, Do not think, do not think that I will accuse you to my father. There is one that accuseth you. Who is it? Even Moses in whom ye trust. You know who's going to accuse you at the end of the day? You're saying that you're Moses' disciples and you're going to keep the law? Sorry, my friend, you're a lawbreakers. And on that day, the law is going to come pounding on you because you're a, you violated the law. See, the law is our schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Had they known Moses and followed Moses, they would have believed on Jesus. Have a look at the next verse. Verse 46, for had ye believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he what? Wrote of me. Verse 47, but if you believe me not, if you believe not his writings, how shall you believe my words? So they didn't even believe the words of Moses. They didn't follow Moses. They were phonies. 
They sat in Moses' seat as scribes. They looked the part, but they weren't even trying to lead people in the way of truth because they had no truth in them. They were deceivers. In Deuteronomy 18, 18, Moses, I will rise up them, a prophet from among their brethren like unto me, Moses said. I will put my words in his mouth. He shall speak unto them all that I have commanded thee. Referring to Christ. Now, how do you know if a person is serious about truth? How do you know? Is it because they teach the Bible? Or they quote scripture? No. No. Sorry. And this is, let me just give you an illustration. This is a common thread over the internet and you can fact check it and you can prove me wrong, but I've done my research even last night and there was a apologetic name, Ravi Zachariah, absolutely loved among Christendom, which from the beginning I could actually see using eloquent words and making things and, you know, make wise statements and all these God is my witness. I always put a question mark. Always. I'm just, where's the gospel? Where's sin? Where's the simplicity of the cross? And it wasn't really seeping through. And so anyway, the history records that throughout his life, I don't know how long, he was in immorality. I looked at his track phone records when he had died. They traced all and the guy was living in sin. Eloquent man! Good for you. You can sit in Moses' seat all you want. You can rightly divide the truth. How do you know? Live it. Love it. That's how you know. That's how you know. You love this book. You obey it. You live it. You embrace it. This attitude, Jesus warns his disciples again and again and again. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 1, he says, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is what? Hypocrisy. And he makes it clear to them, For there is nothing covered that shall be revealed, neither hid that shall be known one day. Listen, my friends, it's coming out. And that ought to be a sober reminder for us, amen, that we would not only be hearers or preachers of the word, but we will be doers of the word. That one day when we stand in that day, we can honestly say, I fulfilled his will. I did all that the Father has willed for me. You are a doer. Beware of the leaven of what? Hypocrisy. Living a double life. He goes on to say in Matthew 23, to the multitudes, that the, he says that the scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, and all therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not do after their works, for they say and do not. Phonies. They all talk, but there's no action. May God help us from this attitude. Amen. He goes on to say that they lay heavy burdens on people, but yet they were not lifted up with one finger. I wonder how often they violate the Sabbath in secret. <laughs> more than just making clay yeah it's all going to come out it's all going to come out similar way Paul warns Timothy 
that avoid these people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. He warns Titus that there are some that profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient unto every good work, a reprobate. There are a lot of people like this. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. In verses 29 to 30, notice how they try to continue to discredit Christ. He says, we know that God spoke unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, by the way, Jesus told them time and time again where he came from. And ultimately he came from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life, John chapter 5. <laughs> he told them already where he came from. And the man answered and said, why herein is a marvelous thing. That ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Don't you see that to be something like a miracle and marvelous? Like, don't you understand? You don't even know where he's from, and yet he has done this? Like, wow, listen, he can understand the severity of it because he was blind. Imagine you being blind for the most of your life. Couldn't see, and now you can see, and your eyes are open. How are you going to react? You're not going to be indifferent. Hey, listen, not when you see. Not when God has opened up your, your eyes. And when God opens up your eyes, when he does it, not, look, just, not just being a textbook, biblical theologian buff that you, your eyes are so closed that you cannot see. It's more than that. Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonas, that flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. There's a supernatural work that takes place. And when you read the scriptures, it only intensifies what God has already showed you. How does, how does God show us that Jesus is deity? How does he bring that to a man? I mean, I'm just making a spiritual application here, but don't you, think, don't you see this to be a marvelous thing? I mean, it's huge. It's a huge thing to have your eyes closed and now they're open. Don't you see that to be marvelous? Don't you understand? Don't we, shouldn't we see who this Christ is? Like, shouldn't we say, who is this Christ? We've never seen it in this fashion before. Rather, just trying to discredit him? Yeah, I think so. See this confidence? See the confidence of this man? I mean, it's, it's, it's remarkable. Look at verse 31. This is astonishing. And the whole thing is just the confidence of this man. We see him now teach and preach. <laughs> it's amazing to see that now he gives them a crash course on theology that is so profound as Christ followers, we can learn from it. There's no doubt about it. Look at verse 31. Now we know. Now we know. Listen, Pharisees, we know. I mean, look, hey, it's almost like Psalm 66 has come to his memory. We know that God heareth not sinners. I mean, this is an Old Testament truth. It's actually even in the Proverbs. Psalms says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Proverbs 15, verse 29, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he heareth the prayer of the righteous. It's all over scripture. We know God doesn't hear sinners. Now we know, we should know this, this is common knowledge. 
This is common knowledge to us. Like, you know, you don't have to be a theologian to understand that God doesn't hear sinners. Can you imagine what the Pharisees were going through up to this point? Who does God hear? Have a look, verse 31. But if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth his will, he heareth him. Wow. That would be, be, be insight for us. God, who do you hear? Who do you walk with? Who is in your presence? Those that worship me and those that do my will. Wow. I walk with them. And Jesus did all that. I mean, right from the beginning, he was tested by the devil. The devil had taken him up to a high mountain and he said, all this can be yours. All this. If you fall down and worship me, and Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Get behind. It is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and only him thou shalt serve. He already passed the test. And we know that Jesus did all that which pleased the Father. And he was doing all that which pleased the Father. And so there's no discredit here to Christ. And this has always been in the the scriptures, this attitude. As a matter of fact, Peter preached it in Acts chapter 10. He says, I perceive that God is not a respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted of him. It's always been the case. Both Jews and Gentiles. And you have to determine today, Christian, do you have the attitude of Christ? Do you have the attitude even of this man born blind that now is healed and understands that God doesn't hear sinners? But he hears those that worship God and that do his will. God is not a respecter of persons. It doesn't matter if you're Abraham's seed. It doesn't matter if you're raised up in a Christian home. It doesn't matter if you know the four, five books of the Bible and you've memorized them. It doesn't, this, this, is, this, is, this is not it. What is it? Do you worship God? Do you fear God? Do you do his will? And we know that in Christ we have been made righteous and therefore we can walk by faith. And God, recept, we are, listen, we are accepted in who? The beloved. And that's the beginning of our walk. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. This is the people that God hears. Mark it down. Don't miss it. Are you a worshiper of God? You worship God in spirit and in truth? You delight to do His will? What a lesson that we can learn. But notice now, in verse 32, he continues to bear witness of the facts. Since the world began, he says, was not heard of a man opened the eyes of one that was born blind. Not from Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, John the Baptist. No, not till now. And by the way, when John the Baptist had a tinge of doubt, saying, are we supposed to look for another? Remember, we shut him in prison. He had a tinge of doubt, thinking, what's going on? I don't, I don't understand. Now, they were all looking for the Messiah to be the deliverer, but they were looking at it in a very physical sense, not only a spiritual sense. And he had some doubt. He's about to get his head on the charger. And uh, he sent some disciples to say, are we looking for another? Or are you? And Jesus said, go, go back and tell John. Blind men see. 
<laughs> this is him. This is him. It's never happened in history until Jesus Christ. Wow. Imagine being the subject of him. Imagine being that man. I mean, come on. But in a sense, brethren, as we close the chapter and we don't have time to do it today, we are these men. We are, you are. God has opened up our eyes spiritually. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're blind. If you, don't, if you cannot sing amazing grace, not from the lips, but from the heart, then you're blind. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch. John Newton saw it. He saw it. The new eyes, the new heart that God was going to give to those that believe on him. It's never happened before. Not until Christ come. Notice the shocking response in verse 34. Absolutely shocking. Oh, sorry, verse 33. He, he, sorry, let's just finish the sermon. <laughs> look at, sorry, man. Have a look at this. If this man were not of God, listen, he could do nothing. Hey, hang on, man. We're not even in John chapter 15 yet. We're in John chapter 9. How did you learn that without God you can do nothing? Because it was still a principle that was taught to the old, to your old saints. And it can only be really carried out in Christ. But if you look to Christ by faith, God will give you grace. And sure, grace was poured out on him that day, wasn't it? He was the subject of God's grace. Man, if, this, if he weren't of God, he can do nothing. He's, you know what he was saying? He's of God. No doubt. He's of God. We know God doesn't hear sinners. He's a worshiper of God. He's doing his will. That I know. The old, the old, this old Testament confirms that fact. We could do nothing. And look at, look at their shocking response. Look at this. And they answered and they said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins. Look at this. And dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Wow. Yeah, I was already an outcast. I mean, remember the question of the disciples saying, whose sin is this that he was born blind? Was it his sin or his parents? So the, the disciples were already thinking this. So the Pharisees were thinking this. He was, beggars sat outside of the temple because they understood that those that were worshippers of God and had a heart for, for, for the poor would give. So they, normally beggars would be sitting out there. He was a beggar sitting outside of the temple. And so he was already outcast out of the temple, sitting out front of the temple. And here we see, hey, hey, it's just a sinner born in sin. You're teaching us. Wow. I had that. I had, my mum was so worried about me that she got one of the priests to come and see me at my home. And by this time I was familiar with the gospel and 1 John 5, he that had the son had life, I've written unto you that you may know. And I was sitting there, I was thinking, this is great. I get to witness to a priest. 
bring him. It was, it was wonderful. They bring him. And my father was there. I'll never forget it. He, was, he, was, he had his hand on the couch. I remember the couch was there. I was opposite and he was just like this. And my mum was there and the lady that brought the priest was there. As a matter of fact, the lady brought the priest. My mum said, yeah, she could come. I remember now. And because she was concerned for my mum because the gospel was impacting my mum. Praise God for that. I remember saying to him very clearly, do you know for sure that if we die, a person can go to heaven? He says, no one knows but God. I showed him 1 John 5, 12 to 13, where the Bible says, he that ye may know. So you may know. See, the Bible says you could know and you're telling me you cannot. And he said to me, I've been a priest for this many years and you're teaching me? I'll never forget it. I said, but what does the Bible say? I don't care if you've been in, if you have your master's degree, my friend. What does the Bible say? I don't care if you've studied up, but what does the Bible say? That's what I care about. And that's what we should be caring about. But it doesn't matter if you're backslidden and you've come to the Lord. You've got an authority in the Bible. You can say, what does the Bible say? Ah, oh, Aaron, you just came to Christ. What do you know? I know I was blind, but now I see. That's what I know. And God is teaching me. And he's still teaching me. Yeah, praise God. Yeah, that's what the devil tries to do. What do you know? Look at you. Look at your backslide. Look, what the, look how you ruined your life. It doesn't matter. God has shown grace to me. I know that much. And God's going to lead me along. He set my foot upon a rock and he's establishing my goings. Yeah. Don't you, listen. These Pharisees did not have a teachable spirit. And because of it, they were blind bats. What do you know? And they cast him out, the Bible says. This is, you know what this is? This is a cheap shot, filled with pride. That's all it is. That's all it is. And they cast him out excommunicated see you later now let's do a little evaluation as we close let's evaluate this Jesus disciples already were suspicious about this man they said whose sin is this so in their heart there was probably you know this guy is shonky or whatever or, and there was perhaps a little bit of an elevation because they could see and he wasn't and so he was kind of rejected kind of you can't completely say he was, by the disciples. There was no one from the, you know, onlookers that would support him. No, nowhere in this account do we see someone standing up. The only glimpse of hope was some of the Pharisees said, you know, uh, how could someone commit this miracle and be a sinner? You know? So there was a glimpse of hope there, but he was kind of rejected by the onlookers. Listen, his parents throw him under the bus the religious rulers not only just lift up a nose, but they actually uh, abuse him, scoff at him, right? So who has he? Who's left? 
Guess, guess who hears what had taken place? And by the way, Jesus already knows this was taking place. But they would have told him, they kicked him out. They excommunicated him. They threw him out. And then Jesus gets word. I love it. Look at verse 35. For what, by the way? Did, did the man sin? Was he, did he have an unrepentant attitude? No. Why was he excommunicated? For testifying of the truth. That's it. Imagine being excommunicated for standing up for what's right. Have a look. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Doest thou believe on the Son of God? God knows. God sees. Listen, God hears. And God steps in. What an advocate. What an intercessor. What a mediator. And I'm, I, haven't, I haven't got time to actually get into this. We'll probably get into this as we conclude sometime in the future. As we conclude the chapter. But we see in, from verses 35 to 38, we see this man's salvation. What more can a man hope for than to see both physically and spiritually? Amen. Uh, but look at verse 36. And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And he said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that take, talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, look at this, Lord, I believe. And what did he do? Worshipped him. He worshipped him. And we, I, again, I don't have time to get into this, but more light is given to those that embrace the light given. That's what happened here. And we'll focus on these last verses next time. Where did this man's confidence come from? Where did it come from? Listen, where did it come from? He was blind. Now remember, when Jesus puts the mud or the clay on his eyes, still up to that point, he couldn't see Christ. He says, go and wash. And perhaps Jesus takes off. <laughs> the neighborhood people get a hold of him. They take him to the Pharisees. Uh, they then say, hey, wait over here. We want to talk to his parents. And then they bring him back in like it's a courtroom. And so up to this point, he then is he's thrown out. And so for the very first time, he sees Christ. But all that time, listen, he was blind, yet testifies of the truth time and time again in his sermon. Why? Because he was a hearer of the word. And faith cometh by hearing. And he believed it. He heard it and he believed it. And he embraced the truth. Listen, blind man also here. Listen, Jesus said it. You say, where? In the, next, in the next chapter? My sheep hear my voice. You may not see the glamour of Christ, but you sure can hear his word. All throughout the Old Testament, pointing to Christ in the New Testament, it's the power of the word of God that gets a hold of a person's heart. And he heard it. Listen, 
blind men hear, not only see, but they hear the word. You know what? Jesus testifies to Pilate before he's crucified on Calvary. You know what he says to him? For this reason I was born. For this cause. Listen, that I may bear witness of the truth. And he goes on to say, and everyone that is of the truth, listen, heareth my voice. Yeah. And that's called an intimate relationship with God regarding his word used by the Spirit of God. And you know the voice of God. And you know the voice of truth. And you know something that doesn't sound right. When I was from a babe in Christ, I could. how would I hear the Lord will help me walk through the Scriptures? Of course, but at times I never had the Scripture. And I needed to hear God through the Spirit. And He did. And sometimes people would say something. I'd say, oh, that sounds funny. And I just knew little about the scripture. Just little. But that little that I knew was enough for God to help me. Listen. See. See. And I know and I can testify because I loved the truth. And I still love the truth. Listen. And you ought to love the truth. Because it's the truth that will set you free. And if Jesus frees you, you'll be free indeed. Not only your physical eyes but listen your spiritual senses God can open up but you have to be tender to the sheep's voice you have to have a walk you've got to be God fearer as far as I know that this man demonstrated God fearing ah he started worshipping Jesus like that like that this is the son of God no bucking no kicking like that. Jeremiah? Peter? No? Paul? No, 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 no. Listen. A blind man that was born from birth. That's it. That's it. Where's he now? The Bible doesn't say. But if he continued to have this kind of attitude, we're going to hear all about it in heaven, my friend. Yep. All about it in heaven. Blind men see and blind men hear. Amen? Let's pray.